Okay, Kyle Sconowell here coming at you right now on a Tuesday from Las Vegas, Nevada. This is Friends from Football, a weekly NFL show within the Friends from Work network hosted by yours truly, Kyle Sconowell. If you have eagle ears, you can hear that my voice is entirely shot. It's been a wild few days. I was at the Vikings-Chiefs game on Sunday and screamed my head off. And then on Monday, I talked so much about the game with family, friends, etc. that I screamed my head off again. And what is left is a heartbroken Kyle with no voice whatsoever. Um... But I'm excited to be here today. Today's going to be a quick and fun episode. As I said, I'm in Las Vegas, so placing my Kyle's best bets will be extra fun because I get to do it at an actual sports book and not just online. If you're just finding this podcast, if you're an NFL fan, if you're a Vikings fan, please rate, review, and subscribe and tell your friends about it. Let's get this thing going. All right, let's dive into some of the headlines from week five in the NFL. So I'll get to the Vikings at the end of this episode, so stay tuned for that. But first, there are some more important NFL storylines to get to. The Buffalo Bills stumbled 20-25 to against the Jaguars in London this week. Harry Potter, please return to the dormitory. Yes, that is my horrible English accent. The Bills did not look very good in what was an interesting game in London this week. Man, Every time you think a team is just clearly better than another team, the NFL proves you wrong. The Bills were number two in my power rankings last week, and they lost 20-25. Couldn't really move the ball for a large portion of that game until some weird stuff happened at the end of the game. The Patriots are an absolute disaster. I am fascinated, per my conversation with Peter Axman a few weeks ago, what the Patriots are going to do with Bill Belichick. This is by far the most helpless, lifeless, boring, awful Patriots team of my lifetime. Uh, they lost 34-0 to zero again to the Saints. Again, Mac Jones was benched. I don't know what's going to happen here. They don't seem to have anything working, nothing heading in the right direction. And at this point, post the Tom Brady era, I just don't know how, how long you can keep Bill Belichick there, which, again, sounds absolutely asinine given that he's one of the greatest, if not the greatest, football coach of all time. But it does feel like the game has passed him by. Their offense is one of the worst things to watch. Just don't watch it. Cover your eyes. Turn away. It's painful to watch. The Lions are really good. Shout out to all my Michigan listeners. The Lions are really good. What a well-constructed team. Dan Campbell's done a great job getting them motivated. Ben Johnson is creative as all get out. I told you that a month ago. He's proving that to be true. Creativity on offense, a dominant offensive line. Jared Goff playing well. The Lions look to me like the clear three seed right now in the NFL. Behind the Eagles at the two seed, Eagles still haven't played their best football, but somehow are 5-0. But the obvious headline here was the Sunday night football game 
San Francisco absolutely slaughtering the Dallas Cowboys, which is just, I mean, I thought San Francisco would win this game. I just didn't think they would murder them 42 to 10. Wow. San Francisco is off to one of the best starts ever for any team ever. They have a genius coach, the most loaded roster, and a quarterback that's playing awesome with maybe the offensive player of the year in Christian McCaffrey with an unstoppable defense. San Francisco is clearly the number one team in the NFL right now. And then lastly, my favorite storyline of the week, shout out to all the New York Jets fans. I don't know how much you guys have followed this Sean Payton, Nathaniel Hackett drama. Um, as a quick summary, I've never, I've never loved Sean Payton. I feel like he's arrogant. He has gotten in trouble with Vikings fans in the past for doing the choking symbol to other players, mocking the skull chant right before the Minneapolis miracle. He was a part of the bounty gate from years ago. Just in general, I don't love Sean Payton. And then this last offseason, he was working as an analyst as Fox, and he does a good job, but, man, he says some things that I'm just not sure you should normally say. He's brash, and he really laid into Nathaniel Hackett as the head coach of the Broncos, both as an analyst and then once he took the job for the Denver Broncos, he said some stuff like Nathaniel Hackett was the worst head coaching job he's ever seen in the NFL. I mean, he really threw him under the bus. He protected Russ in that way. And he a little bit had to walk some of those comments back, but I just found it totally out of place, not in good spirit. Like clearly Nathaniel Hackett, it didn't work out. He got fired. Like, why are we kicking this guy when he's down? Well, you're kicking him when he's down because Sean Payton's trying to protect himself. So it's crazy to me that after all of that mocking, saying that Nathaniel Hackett was so bad, the Broncos are one and four. They've been stomped multiple times. Their defense is absolutely atrocious. Their defense gave up 70 points to the Miami Dolphins. And all this kind of feels like Sean Payton had it coming. Now, all of a sudden, there's disagreement between him and Russell Wilson, which was happening last year with Nathaniel Hackett, and he was trying to act like it was all Hackett and no, no Russ. So he kind of had this coming. Well, this week, of course, he plays the New York Jets, who the offensive coordinator for the New York Jets is... You guessed it, Nathaniel Hackett. Well, oh my goodness. The New York Jets won the game 31-21, but that's not the lead. The lead is how aware of this offseason storyline the New York Jets players, coaches, and social media PR team was because the players, as part of their pump-up speech, said like, hey, they put down Hackett. Let's go win this for Hackett. You know, I'm paraphrasing, but it was clearly a focal point for them. Robert Sala in the post-game handshake line (laughs) told Sean Payton, stay humble, brutal. And then the most savage move of all, which I don't see happen very often, (laughs) the, the New York Jets social media team posted that meme of Kevin James photoshopped onto a Denver Bronco coach saying your point of view when you lose to the offseason champs, which is what Sean Payton called them. I low-key love this storyline. I thought Sean Payton was out of hand. <laughs> I think he had it coming. Denver is an absolute mess. 
The Vikings are one and four. The Bears are one and four. Denver's one and four. Carolina's 0 and five. But it really feels like it's an absolute mess in Denver. And I don't know how they get out of this. I don't know how they get out of the Sean Payton stuff or the Russ contract. How do they fix that defense without the dead cap money from Russ's contract if they let him go? Just an absolute nightmare in Denver. Okay, let's get into my best bets for week six in the NFL. So I am currently 12, 11, and 2 against the spread, exactly 500. If you have been following all my bets, you would be exactly breaking even right now. Um, another 2, 2, and 1 week last week with the push being Houston. Man, they had that game, and they ended up pushing plus 2. Arizona plus 3, I told you I gave them another chance. I shouldn't have. They got killed, so I'm kind of over the Arizona thing now. I bet Kansas City minus four against the Vikings. I told you why I did that, emotionally hedging my bets. Uh, I got that correct, although I wish I didn't. The Green Bay Packers minus one, eh, wrong on that. And then Miami minus 10 and a half versus the Giants. Ding, 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 ding. At this point, it feels really safe to bet Miami. I'm excited about this week, though. There are a couple this week that just jump off the paper at me. So here we go. Kyle's best bets for week five. Seattle plus 2.5 versus Cincinnati. Look, the last couple games Seattle have played, they have really showed up. If you subtract their week one debacle against the Rams, they have looked really solid, and their defense looks legit. I'm a believer in what the offense is doing. They're not there yet, but there's potential there. And I think as the year goes along, that offense is only going to improve. But Pete has proven he can coach a defense. And what the Seahawks did to the Giants a week ago was absolutely brutal. Yes, Cincinnati bounced back this week against Arizona, but I don't know that they're going to be able to move the ball nearly as well against Seattle as they did against Arizona. I don't see Seattle scoring a ton of points. This is probably a lower scoring game, but I think taking Seattle plus two and a half, I think Seattle wins the game outright, but definitely give me the two and a half points. Game number two. Detroit minus three versus Tampa Bay. Did you guys know that Jared Goff is one of the best quarterbacks ever against the spread? I don't know why that is. His teams play things pretty close. Maybe he doesn't get enough respect, and so Vegas and uh, the public will bet those lines down. I think Detroit's really, really good. Yes, I think Tampa's pretty good, but they're not on Detroit's level. I could see Detroit controlling most of this game. Detroit minus three versus Tampa Bay. Game number three, Minnesota minus two and a half versus Chicago. As I said, I bet the Chiefs last week and got that correct. I'm going to talk about the Vikings here in a second. This is an absolute season make or break game. I just still believe the Vikings are a far superior team to the Chicago Bears. Obviously, we're going to have an entirely different conversation next week if I'm wrong on that. But I'm still going to ride this one more time. Minnesota minus two and a half versus Chicago. This is in Chicago, but the weather shouldn't be awful this early in the year. Game number four, San Francisco minus five and a half versus Cleveland. Cleveland has a really good defense. I just don't know how Cleveland is going to score any points against San Francisco. San Francisco is an absolute machine right now. Cleveland, who's already struggling to score most games, Deshaun Watson's banged up. He's not playing well when he's healthy. And now you're going against San Francisco and that defense. I think San Francisco rolls here. This is like a 30 to 13 type game, 30 to 17 type game. San Francisco wins. And my last game of the week, Houston 
plus one and a half versus New Orleans. Houston, by pushing last week, earned themselves one more spot on this list. I still am not a crazy believer in New Orleans, but they won 34-0 last week, so that says something. I, I don't know. I think they still probably take that division, as Grant Paulson said in episode two of this podcast. But I think Houston is still sneaky. I like Houston to bounce back after a loss last week and beat New Orleans outright, but give me the one and a half points. Houston plus one and a half versus New Orleans. Okay, so I want to close the episode today briefly talking about the Minnesota Vikings as a whole, uh, their game against the Kansas City Chiefs, which I was at, uh, and then transitioning that into a look into next week. Look, I still don't know if the Minnesota Vikings are really bad or if they're okay. And I know I sound like a broken record, and I understand that I'm in the crazy minority to say that because obviously the entire public is looking at it going, the Vikings are one and four. They've lost all these close games. Justin Jefferson is now on the injured reserve for at least four weeks. I get it. I get why it would be easy to cave. I'm going to talk about next week in a second. This game against Kansas City was, again, unbelievably frustrating. On one hand, this was a chalked loss anyways. Like Before the season, I think the Eagles game and the Chiefs loss hurt less because those were games that were going to be really tough to win regardless. But obviously, once you start playing the game and you keep it that close, then it hurts that you can't ever get these done against these good teams. Like, we're not getting any of these. And so the Vikings are digging themselves a massive hole. I have no voice because of how much screaming I did at the game. And I'm not normally a screamer. And I'm definitely not the blame the refs guy. And so I'm not going to go on a huge rant about that. But I really felt like late in that game, the Vikings caught some bad breaks Um, essentially the Vikings and the Chiefs were the exact same team in every statistical category. To the eye test, it looked the exact same with one exception. On like five key plays, the Kansas City players made all five of those plays and the Vikings made none of them. Ultimately, the Vikings didn't lose the game because of the referees. They lost the game because Alexander Madison dropped one of the easiest screen passes you'll ever see. It's a screen pass that... You know, if I'm playing catch with my daughter in the backyard, that's how soft I toss the ball to her. That's the kind of play he dropped. That would have been a game-tying touchdown or at least a first down late, late in the game, like five minutes left. I posted some of these clips on social media, at Kyle Skonawil. If you want to just live in this pain, sadness, and gnashing of teeth, just absolute agony, then you can watch some of these clips. But the Vikings had eight drops. Some of them were contested. Some of the throws were a little bit high, but these are balls that I need them to catch. I need them to catch. TJ Hawkinson is a good player, but if you want to be paid like the top tight end in the market, like you are, I need you to convert on some of these third down catches. I need the ball when it hits your hands to stay in your hands. The Vikings lost because on the very first play of the game, after an 18-yard gain for the Vikings, we fumbled again. Truly stunning, shocking, unbelievable, unreal. You know how you say unbelievable a lot, but you don't actually mean it? This was a case where at the game, I truly couldn't believe it. I could not believe that after a week of prepping for the Chiefs, after a season of emphasizing that we can't fumble, and then especially against the team of the Chiefs, emphasizing that you cannot fumble against them, you can't turn the ball over against them, 
the fact that we fumble on literally the first play after an 18-yard gain is so mind-blowing. And so, yes, we are dangerously close to saying that this is just what the Vikings are. This is who they are. I haven't thrown in that towel yet, though. I still think there's time for it to bounce back, and I'll get into that in a second. But the fact that we fumbled on the first play of the game blows my mind. So the Vikings lost because Madison dropped a screen pass. They lost because we fumbled on the first play of the game. They lost because we had eight drops. They lost because Cam Bynum did not time his jump on a third and 18 Patrick Mahomes arm punt where he threw it into the sky and somehow Cam Bynum sitting right underneath the ball for a pick early in the second half jumps way early inexplicably and gets mossed by one of the Kansas City receivers. And we lost because of some really controversial calls. The game basically ended on a 4th and 12. Cousins throws the ball into the end zone. The refs throw a pass interference flag. It's going to give the Vikings first and goal from the one. And somehow, after the clown show, referees get together and talk about it. They pick up the flag, essentially ending the game. And there was a pass interference called on a 4th and 1 against Harrison Smith that I just could not believe they called. You can say what you want. The receiver initiated contact. He grabbed Harrison Smith around his neck and pulled him into his body. I will not believe anything otherwise. It happened right in front of me. I watched the replay in the stadium and then I watched the game when I got home. You just can't have, you can't make a call there. You can't make a call there on fourth and one. The refs are inserting themselves into a game unnecessarily. You just can't make that call. It's a season defining play for us. And then at the end of the game, even if the pass interference is like a, a light call, it would have been a weak pass interference. You threw the flag. The fact that you pick it up blows my mind. So the refs are not the main reason the Vikings lost. The Vikings lost because they didn't clutch like five plays. You can't drop a screen pass. But they lost. So that takes me to this week, which is the Vikings go on the road and face the Bears. There's so much talk right now with Justin Jefferson just being placed on the injury reserve, meaning he's going to miss the next four games regardless, uh, maybe more. There's so much talk about the Vikings at one and four selling. And I think if I'm the GM, I'm using this Bears game as one of the determining factors. I still believe that the Vikings can come out and play a very solid, clean game against the Bears. If you can come out and, and win by 14, just a game that you look good, you look competent, it's never in question. You win like 31 to 20, 31 to 14. If you can come out and do something like that, even then, if you get steamrolled by the 49ers the following week, which the 49ers are steamrolling everybody, including Dallas, even if you get steamrolled, you'd be two and five. I still don't think I would give up on the season. Yes, that may sound like a homer take. But after those two games, if the Vikings have showed you anything against the Bears and anything against the 49ers, the Vikings then have in this order, Packers, Falcons, Saints, Broncos, Bears, Raiders, Bengals. Every one of those games is winnable. I know a lot of people are laughing right now hearing me say this. If you're two and five with that upcoming stretch of games, I still think that there's a chance the Vikings could go five and two or even six and one in that stretch. I really do believe that to get to seven and seven or eight and six, and then anything can happen in those last three weeks. 
Why do I think that? The Vikings have played the Eagles already, who are undefeated. The Vikings have played the Chiefs, who are 4-1. and one. The Vikings have played the Chargers, who I think are going to end up being 11-6 and six or something like that. And they've played the Buccaneers, who are 3-1. and one. I don't think the Buccaneers are a playoff team, but right now they're 3-1. and one. And every single one of those losses to potentially all playoff teams came by one score through self-inflicted wounds. Like you would think if the Vikings have no shot in this season, at some point they would just get laughed off the field by one of these teams. But they're playing teams that were in the Super Bowl down to the last possession, and you're only giving some of those things up because you're fumbling into end zones and dumb stuff like that, fumbling on the first play of the game. You're spotting Kansas City seven points. So I truly don't know what's going to happen. But if the Vikings can somehow find a way to keep hope and not throw in the towel – if they can play a clean game against Chicago, I do think there is a path to getting back into this thing at 500. However, I have yet to say this to anybody, but if the Vikings lose to the Bears, I think that's where I would draw the line. If they lose to the Bears to go 1-5, and five, and then you have the 49ers on the horizon, virtually 1-6, that's where I think it's over. And if you're the Vikings, I think it's smart to try to trade people like Daniil Hunter, Kirk Cousins, Harrison Smith, I think a total blow it up fire sale rebuild would be in order if you lose to the Bears. Because if you're going to be one in six anyways, if you're the Vikings, you got to get as much draft capital for next year, plus maybe even get a higher pick by just tanking at that point. And if you're Kirk, if you're Harrison Smith, if you're Daniel Hunter, later in your career, it just doesn't make sense if the Vikings are openly admitting that their championship window is closing then it doesn't make sense for those guys who don't have that much time left to play to stick on a team that isn't going anywhere. So the one thing that people are not remembering is that Kirk has a no-trade clause, so he can totally choose if he wants to do this. I have no idea if he'd want to do it. I'm saying if the Vikings lose to the Bears, from the Vikings' perspective, it would be worth exploring if a team like the Falcons wanted to trade for Kirk midseason. Or if a team like the Chargers wanted to trade for Daniil Hunter, I would explore that. If the Vikings have a good showing against the Bears, I definitely would give them another shot for two more weeks before the deadline, see how they do against the 49ers and Packers. If they lose to the 49ers but look competitive and then they beat the Packers, I absolutely don't sell. I would not sell at 3-5 and five, the way the NFC is shaping up with a lot of easier games on the horizon. The Vikings have played the most brutal part of their schedule, and the night is always darkest before the dawn. Obviously, all that being said, I'm heartbroken. I'm sick. Being at the game was just so crushing. It's soul-crushing. I can't explain it. Um, I have so much emotionally invested in these games. It's not good for my health. Um, I was thankful the game was fun. It was an amazing environment to be in. So much fun. I'm going to talk about how cool the Vikings pregame stuff is and all that at some point, I promise. But obviously with it being soul crushing, I still don't know where this season's going to go. They only have a negative 12 point differential, even though they're one and four. I think they had a negative 12 point differential last year when they were 13 and four. I still think there's a path to 10 and seven, 11 and six, but let's see if they can mentally bounce back, if they can not emotionally give up on the season. And I think these next two to three weeks before the trade deadline will determine what's going to happen. Oh, and one last thing I want to say about the Vikings. Obviously, Justin Jefferson's one of the best players in the NFL. 
obviously losing him hurts. He's unbelievable. I can't emphasize that enough. But there's a weird thing that sometimes happens in these situations where the coaches are now forced into, okay, we can't just force feed Justin Jefferson. Before it was Justin Jefferson, it was Dalvin Cook, and the Zimmer regime would get obsessed with force-feeding Dalvin Cook. And so Dalvin Cook was amazing, but teams would gear up to stop Dalvin so much that it would actually be harder for us to win games when we were force-feeding Dalvin. And so when Dalvin was here and he would get hurt, we were actually very, very, very good at winning games in his absence. And that's not because the backup running back was always better than Dalvin. It's because the coaches were forced to allow other people to make plays and shine. And the players had to take it upon themselves to step up and make plays. So I want Justin back, obviously. I don't think it changes that much from a win-loss perspective for just the next month or so. Whether you have Justin or not, you're still probably an underdog against San Francisco, and you're still probably favored against Chicago. And Cousins does really, really, really well in offenses that allow him to spread the ball. In 2017, Arguably Kirk's best season. He was with the Washington Redskins at the time, and they had absolutely nobody at receiver. We're talking Jamison Crowder, 50-year-old Vernon Davis, just absolute no-names. But with Sean McVay scheming all these guys open, that was actually Kirk's best EPA season. I think they finished the year on offense as the sixth-best EPA estimated points added offense in the league. And that was with nobody at receiver. So if Kevin O'Connell, the coach of the Vikings can take the challenge upon himself to now scheme everyone else open and guys like TJ Hawkinson, Jordan Addison and KJ Osborne can step up in their elevated roles. I think there's a chance with two tight ends, with running the ball better, et cetera, that the Vikings won't take as large of a step back with Justin Jefferson being on the injury reserve as the national media thinks. And that is not meant to belittle how good Justin Jefferson is. Everything you hear about Justin Jefferson is true. He is that good. I still think the way the team is built, they're going to be okay in these next four weeks. I certainly think they have the players to beat Chicago and Green Bay. Anyways, I'm going to close the episode today by highlighting a few more things from week six in the NFL. I already talked about my best bets, but a couple of other things to note. The Colts-Jags game is really interesting to me because I like what the Colts are doing, what Shane Steichen's doing. They obviously are now without Anthony Richardson for probably about a month with a shoulder sprain, I think it is. Don't quote me on that, but he is hurt. Uh, Can Gardner Minshew rally the troops? Are the Jags ready to take a big step forward and, and claim that division? which is open for the taking. Lions-Bucks, I'm excited to see this game. As I mentioned earlier, I think the Lions can roll the Bucks here, but let's see how for real the Bucks are because I think I know the Lions are for real. Can the Bucks hang there? Rams are 2-3 and three, playing the 1-4 and four Cardinals. I'm really interested to see if they can bounce back, get back to 500. And somehow, again, because of the NFL schedule makers, the Bills are going to put an absolute shellacking on the New York Giants again on primetime. So you're seeing a lot of Jets and a lot of Giants on primetime, and it's not how the NFL would have drawn it up if they had known that the Giants would struggle this much and the Jets would be without Aaron Rodgers. Thank you guys so much for listening. Next week, I think we're going to break down a really pivotal week in the NFL and specifically from the Vikings. I am really excited to talk about 
what it means for them if they win or if they lose this game against the Bears. We can look into more detail of what selling off players or what making a push would look like. Thanks again. Please rate, review, and subscribe, and we'll see you right back here next time on Friends from Football.